The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to be the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing these promises to life. Join creator and host Jonathan Ross Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as he interviews the brilliant minds that are building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. Welcome to Into the Metaverse. I'm Jan, and joining me today is Gilad Talmon, CEO of Yume. Yume is a leading volumetric video technology company making the next wave of content creation tangible for creators and brands, providing them a direct path into the metaverse, Web3 and beyond through its technology powered by proprietary algorithms and machine learning. We're going to unpack all of that so everyone can understand what on earth I just described. Gilad has over 16 years of senior management experience across various technology sectors in both the startup and corporate space, and he previously served as programs and business development director at Elbit Systems Aerospace in Israel, where he was intimately involved with AR, among other technologies. Gilad, super delighted to welcome you on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Very, very excited to be here. Awesome. So let's dig in. I want to start with just kind of talking a bit about Yume as a company overall. What's the vision and the mission of the company and why did you decide to build it? So our vision is fine character creation pipelines. I think that's the gist of it. If you want to look a bit top level, it's kind of populating the metaverse, populating these gaming environments, because I think that uh, it's a key factor for making the metaverse more approachable is allowing us to come in and talent to come in and engage with each other as ourselves or augment ourselves. And why do you think characters that augment who we want to be is so important into, in sort of in the context of, you know, more broadly speaking, the internet becoming 3D, obviously we're seeing a whole new generation like your kids and many others that are interacting as avatars and with avatars in these massive virtual spaces. Why do you think it's so important that there's going to be the ability to do more on the front of avatars, both for the users and for creators? I'll tell you about my point of contact. I come at this from a gamer perspective uh, because forget all of my professional career, it spanned a, a few, like you said, Elbit systems and I did cyber and Elbit and a lot of, of things. But the one thing that I've been doing since I was about six is play games. And I think that the, what's happening in the gaming world that's so exciting and is the basis of kind of the evolution of gaming and mass multiplayer games into metaverse type environments. Like you said, like what my girls are experiencing by far more than I'm experiencing, is the feeling of intimacy, immersion, and human connections. I think that human connections require a sense of presence. I think that if you look at these gaming avatars uh, and the amount of time that the people playing are investing in personalizing them, I think that's the best demonstration that we're getting live from what's happening now to how important avatars are in this communication and in this sense of immersion and presence that, again, stands at the base of social gaming. I mean, I'm looking at a platform like Roblox where I think recent data showed that about one of five daily users, Roblox has 65 million daily users, one of five daily users, which basically means, you know, roughly 
you know, 16, 17 million people a day change their avatar outfits every day. I'm sure you've seen that data point. And if not, I'm sure you have girls <laughs> that are behaving yeah. like that. So you're either on the spectator side or you're the payer side or both, which I thought is phenomenal because when, you know, when we think about this platform and when we talk to brands and we talk to companies who want to come into a platform like Roblox and we give them that virtual goods is not just this thing kids do. Oh, it's this fad phenomena. It's, we explain that it's really about personal expression. People dress up outside in real life because they want to express themselves in a unique way. And guess what? They're doing exactly the same thing in virtual spaces. Now it's not just kids. And by the way, with gamers, I mean, it happened for the past 30 years, like, right? Virtual goods, merchandise for your avatars has been happening since the early 2000s maybe even before. So nothing new in the niche category, but suddenly now the rest of the world is like, oh my God, these kids are dressing up their avatars. Like, how did it happen? And we're like, well, it's been happening for 20 years. It's just no one was noticing. So what do you think the impact of gaming becoming more mainstream media and how it would impact, you think, opportunities for creators and brands using technologies like what you guys are creating? And what does it mean when the rest of the world is now starting to realize, oh, this is actually a normal thing that is happening. So I, I think that the cultural impact would be immense. I, again, and again, I'm look at my two girls. We started talking before, like we started recording. So I have a 16 year old and an 11 and a half year old. And we spent the summer touring around the US. We combined business and pleasure. And both of them kept in touch with their friends through gaming, through these, through Roblox, both of them, by the way, the 16 year old as well, but she also played Fortnite and Rainbow Six and the young one mainly through Roblox and the bit Minecraft. And it was interesting to see two things mainly. One is that when we traveled abroad and we spent some time in Boston, in New York and Los Angeles, Zoe, my big daughter had friends in all of these locations she met through the Stranger Things fan club that meets in Roblox. Now, when they meet, it's funny, most of the time they just hang around in Roblox. They don't even play. It's just them hanging around in the environment. And here is Zoe just came. So hanging out in these environments and chatting about their mutual hobbies, they're buying swag that relate to that, to those, no, Zoe, Going. <laughs> <laughs> They're buying swag that belongs to these virtual environments. So another example, they went to all of her friends met and they went to the Lil Nas performance when it was out of Roblox. So they up to the performance and for them, it's natural. And, and I'm thinking of it from, you know, from my perspective as a gamer, and again, I've been a gamer for ages, swag and Bragging rights, look and feel and equipment have always been a part of these type of environments. If you look at uh, World of Warcraft, I think one of the, the, and Diablo, even before, one of the big things that they did is all of the, like the mass multiplayer that has the equipment drops and it makes your character look better and more awesome and performs better in, you know, in, inside the game, et cetera, et cetera. But it created an entire economy around that where people in World of Warcraft at the time, I don't know what's going on now, I haven't played in a while, had a black market economy where you could buy this stuff and pay real money and people paid a lot of money. 
in order to gain items that are very difficult to, to gain in the game. And I, I think that the willingness of, you know, anything from kids to young adults to adults that play these games to pay real world money in order to gain items in game shows that the, it has real value for them. And the more that we, the younger audiences that grew up into these high fidelity games, the older they get and the more access to funds they'll have, the bigger this phenomena will become because they're already socialized into it. If you look at my generation, the first games that we played, the Atari, two lines bouncing the pixel between them. And we only, we grew into these more immersive environments when we were way older. So for me, it was, I don't know, my thirties, pretty much. They grew up into it. Both of them had been playing Roblox or Minecraft or some form of mass multiplayer game environment for kids since they, you know, the age of four or five, they learned English through these platforms. They're so socialized into walking these virtual environments as part of their lives and living, quote unquote, a second life with the swag and bragging rights and the house in Bloxburg and the job to finance building and making it and throwing parties there to the classroom, that for them it's natural. I think that the impact, even for us professionals, my personal opinion, the impact on the future of commerce and e-commerce is something that we can't even begin to fathom. I fully agree. And I think that's the piece that people find so difficult to connect with. Same as when things like Facebook and YouTube came, it was younger generations, us when we were younger, and our parents have no, had no idea, right? I think it took a decade until quote-unquote adults realized what is Facebook. And now it's populated with mostly 45-plus-year-old people, right? And YouTube yeah. the same. So... I think that's where we are in the journey of virtual worlds and avatars is we're at that stage where it's positioned as something that younger people do, but these younger people will get older and it, they will continue to be immersed in these worlds because that's now, as you said on with the, I think you mentioned stranger things experience on Roblox. It's not even, sometimes it's not even about playing a game. It's just hanging out in these virtual spaces. I like to say to people, imagine 20, 20 something years ago, we had ICQ, which was a phenomenal app. I've learned, I've met so many new friends on ICQ, yeah. right? Imagine that instead of just like a 2D rudimentary messaging app on the web, it was a fully immersive place where you also have an avatar that runs around. That's basically what it is to a lot of them. It's a messaging and communication protocol that is just being hosted in a 3D immersive virtual world where you can also have an expression and virtual identity that typically would only have been associated with a game. But here's the other big thing that I think is interesting is that back in the day, it was really just about, you can place an avatar that is dictated by the game. You couldn't really be you. So even in World of Warcraft, you can create accessorization, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Now you are fully in control what the avatar looks like, how they move, how they dance. And that is pretty phenomenal and takes that creative and personal expression, I believe, to the next level. So I totally agree. By the way, you gave something that's a wonderful example that, you know, I think about a lot every time that I buy something new. Uh, think about the world before YouTube. You bought something that's relatively technically complicated. Okay, so we have, we're huge coffee addicts here in the house. 
So we have like a semi-professional machine that grinds, but it needs maintenance because it's like semi-professional. And take us, I don't know, 10 years back, in order to do that maintenance, you'd need to go through the manual and have some infographics and either all, all that or just call a professional. Today, just go on YouTube, see a how-to and just do it. And it's, it applies to everything. I think that the, what we're seeing with these immersive environments, and you mentioned the Roblox numbers before, I think no, last November, they had 1.7 billion people attended in a month. What we're seeing there is a new way of people socializing. Again, the ICQ example, I think is perfect, but what it adds is another layer of presence and another layer of interaction that's almost your way of porting yourselves into different environments. My daughter, my young daughter, when she came in and she saw all the nice, she came into Roblox relatively at a young age, I think like six, seven, something like that. And she saw all the houses that everybody had in the, in like in the, the Bloxburg environment, and possibly slightly after she joined. So Zoe, the, my big girl friends, ganged up and built her a house. She can meet with her friends in. And it became a big thing in her, in her social life because now she has the best house in the second grade class because all of the young teenagers built it for her and shipped funds in order to do it. And the social connections start migrating from one place to another, then a lot of things that apply in real life, what I look like, how I move, what items I have, what accessories I have, how I define my identity, not only through actions, but through kind of the look and feel of life translates into the game. And it becomes a, a totally new, different type of communication and it filters into real life to an extent that I always laugh about it when they do play in Roblox or Fortnite or whatever, you will either see them in the same room and then with different screens open and playing, or they open Discord. Uh, it used to be house party. Now it's Discord on the side and all of them are in this like never ending Discord conversation because they use that channel in order to cheat in the game and coordinate. And it becomes this, they used to call TV kind of the fireplace where all the family or the tribe comes to at night to get warm. And that's all what, where all the conversations are. I can't, I don't remember the translation of the term to English. So now these virtual spaces are becoming that for these generations. That's where they hang out during evenings when they can't meet physically in order to continue the conversations that they had before. It's like Starbucks keep referring to themselves as the third place. And yes, maybe for a certain generation, but for a big part of the world population, the third place is those places, right? Discord, Roblox, Fortnite is where they hang out, socialize. This is a great kind of opportunity to switch gears and talk a bit about more about Yume. What are some of the greatest breakthroughs that you guys had until today and some of the key success stories of how your technology brings to life some of these new forms of experiences? I think that the two major breakthroughs that we had, one was when we really reached a high level of photorealism, because while photorealism is not always appropriate for gaming, it's way easier to take something that's photoreal and make it gamified, and it's very hard to do the other way around. And that opened up for us a very wide set of applications 
So whether it's music artists that we worked with last year or uh, some big productions that we participated, or if it's the various studios around the world that operate or license our technology in, in, in order to create these experiences. And then the second breakthrough that we had was in artificial intelligence, our capability of taking pictures and generating avatars or using a, a form of generative artificial intelligence in order to build the base of the avatars just from any mobile phone, but also our capability of translating all of that, translating the volumetric video that we had, translating these avatars into just native file formats for the gaming world. Today, if you'd asked, if you had asked me six months ago, what Tetavi is, or sorry, what the time it was Tetavi, what Yum is really up to, I'd say high fidelity volumetric video in order to port people into to metaverses. We've moved past that, but what we generate now is digital humans and augmented digital humans. The, I think that the big breakthrough that we had is that we are now set to help expand the amount of gaming material, metaverse material that can be generated and populated, whether if it's with C's that can be linked to things like chat GPT or whether it's with player characters or whether it's with traditional gaming. We have the capability today of taking a character generation pipeline that takes months and do it automatically in days. And if you think about like where the metaverse is going and where all of these gaming environments are going and the need to populate them, it's clear that the gaming world will need to become way more automated. So a lot of artificial intelligence research is going into creating these gaming environments, creating items, creating look and feel, and also creating characters. And we had a major breakthrough in that about six months ago. By the way, we're going to do a reveal of it in GDC. I want to double click on that. So <clears throat> with this new breakthrough, who is today the key type of customers that Yume has? And how do you see that evolving with your technology over the next three to five years? So the customers or partners that we're looking at are divided into three segments. One is the game engines, because we can allow a way smoother and faster and higher fidelity character creation pipeline to be integrated into them. So it doesn't matter if it's Unity or Unreal Engine or Roblox or one of the proprietary engines that is owned by the big gaming companies. And it's frictionless because it, the output today is just the standard FBX, etc., of industry standard file formats. The second type of customer are the game developers, pretty much for the same reasons. We can streamline the process of creating these games and through the generative AI capability also allow them to give the end users the capability of inserting themselves into these experiences. So imagine over somebody who creates a game in Roblox where you can, through cloud capability, allow your users, your gamers to jump in and create their own emotes and own avatars and accessorize them. And then finally, let's say close third, but it's still a third, it impacts the world of virtual production. A lot of virtual production is happening now in game engines. I think that's one of the big 
next changes that's going to come to the gaming world and to, and in a sense it already had, to the gaming world and to, to the metaverse world is the fact that a lot of content is being created in-game engine for TV and thus it's relatively easy to port it into these 3D environments. And streamlining character creation for that also has potential for a, a very big impact on that industry. So something that I talked about with someone this week was I was asked the question, what do I think, how generative AI is going to impact creators, game developers, et cetera. And it dawned on me that there's, at least in my mind, and I'm curious about your point of view, that there's two areas or two key things that we're going to see soon. One is everyone who can create something. So let's say standard user generated, user generated content will be able to use generative AI capabilities to do whatever they've done, just much better and faster. So the simple stuff very easily can look incredible. And then on the high end, the amazing stuff will be even more amazing. Then the in-between it maybe is a bit of a gray area. What I'm curious about and wanted to ask you is if you think about the long tail of creators, and I think I'm very much in belief like Jensen Huang from NVIDIA who's saying, the metaverse ultimately will be populated with content that is generated by millions of different creators. And I do subscribe pretty much with what happened to YouTube, right? It's just the capabilities of rapidly building and shipping 3D content are just not there. So I'm curious, in the long term, how do you see Yume and your technology amplifying what someone like Jensen Huang said on the metaverse being will be built and populated by which is, by the way, same as Dave Bazuki, the CEO of Roblox says, right? He says the metaverse will be built by, by, by the creators. How much do you think your technology will empower the long tail, the individual or the small creators as much as it is at the moment with developers and publishers and game engine owners, et cetera? So I, that's what we're aiming at. So we've always aimed to, to cover the entire spectrum from the professionals all the way to the, the creators. And what we're developing in generative is a way to let, think about it as, as two different but completing applications. So on the one hand, imagine how your life would have been easier as a creator in Roblox, and there are about 9 million of them, game creator, if you could use your mobile phone, capture a few people in T-poses, uh, using generative AI, turn them into gamified avatars to various levels of gamification, all the way from something that looks like Adopt Me, or if Roblox continues according to the trajectory that are going even higher graphic fidelity type models, like all the way to Fortnite, and then also assign motion into them. So you're doing with your mobile phone what today requires a photogrammetry studio, a motion capture system, and 3D artists to do rigging, skinning, cleanup, integration of everything, a process that's months. And all of it is done by generative AI that, get, that gets cues from your mobile phone. So suddenly it opens up an entire new space for creators and pretty much erases, not 100%, it's never 100%, but pretty much erases the boundaries of what you can do and what you can't do within the game engine limitations. So that's one. And I think that when we get to that's where you start seeing games 
or game development become way more scalable and also the level of graphic fidelity of the game is going higher and higher and higher, which usually drives more engagement. The second thing is opening up as a game developer, as a micro game developer, the capability for your audience to come in and express themselves doing the same thing. Now you all, you build the motions in, you leave some space for remotes, you built in the accessorizing, but you let the people come in, generate their own avatar from the mobile phone, decide on the level of fidelity that they want, decide on the level of uh, gamification and accessories that they want, and bring themselves into the game. So now suddenly you have user-generated content, not only semi-pros. And I think that that's part of our vision. When you enable that for all the games engines, you suddenly open up a world where the level of proficiency, technical proficiency that you need to have in order to generate these games goes down. The quality of what you can produce goes up and that goes hand in hand with your level of proficiency. And suddenly you have a much wider audience that can create. If you think about what we spoke about in, in earlier in, in the conversation around what happened with YouTube and then TikTok. So that's a different YouTube. Generally speaking, it's semi-pros and the people that are getting the most views are people that have the higher quality equipment. No, it's not, it's like a generalization, but it's generally true. TikTok, anyone can do. It's easy. And most of it is challenges. They, somebody does something cool and then everybody tries to imitate. So it's the same kind of democratization, if you'd have it, that these two platforms did for video. And the reason that they did it for video is because video equipment became way more accessible and video editing software became where, way easier to use um, because of technological advancements. We want to be that for character creation and we're complementing a trend that's happening anyway. We're building the environments and the game mechanics is becoming way more simple. It started with Unreal Engine, but now Roblox and additional platforms that let you develop your own games and give you access to the audiences and simplify things. So that was great. Now I have a question. <clears throat> I love the idea and the vision of making the technology accessible. I think this is all about, this is what it's all about. And I do go back to what I said about how generative AI will impact things. I think on the one hand, we'll continue to have millions of millions of more creators who are creating ever more high quality content because technology is becoming more accessible and you're still going to have, I'll use an analogy, right? People like the creators of the Mandalorian who are really going to push the boundaries cool. towards the next decade and folks like Pixar who are pushing to the next decade, but that's not going to be the YouTube creators. That's going to be the big streamers, the big content creators and so on and so forth. And both will go hand in hand in pushing the boundaries of the future. I totally subscribe to that. And I think that's naturally what's going to happen. And historically has always happened. You always have, there's no cannibalization, right? You always have the high end, continue to be high end, right? People are always going to want to buy more expensive cars. Porsche is always going to keep pushing the boundaries on their performance, but most people are going to end up buying, you know, a Prius or a Honda or et cetera, right? Yeah. Uh, in more accessible forms of payment. The question I have though, just from a development perspective, I'm curious. So if I want to launch a game on Roblox, let's say, with a concert, right? And I want to have, you mentioned Lil Nas, that your daughter, I think before we started the recording, you mentioned your daughter was 
excited. She jumped into Lil Nas and they propped, they created accessories. They got ready for the party. How much or at what point do you think we, let's say a super social, will be able to use a technology like yours in essentially saying, well, you know what, instead of going and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on motion capture and volumetric recording and all of those really expensive things, right? And it could be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for a few mm -hmm. minutes of dancing and singing in a concert virtually. Are we there now? Like, can we tap into that? Or is it part of what you think is going to happen that your tech can enable over the next three, four, five years from a standpoint of providing that high fidelity, well, let's say in the Roblox context, high fidelity avatar movement and motion, but doing it in a way that is more accessible, not just for the developers, but also potentially any artist can come in and just do it themselves. So I think that the answer will surprise you. On a pure professional level, that's still way more accessible from a price point and from an operational point than it is in traditional pipelines. You'll probably be able to do it within a few months, a couple of months, three months. You'll go to a studio, either ours or one of our partners, if you're Lil Nas, okay, get scanned. And within a couple of weeks, you'll be in a Roblox performance as yourself or gamified self or any way that you want. For what we discussed on the like cellular phone plus generative level, probably by the end of the year. Wow. The advancements in technology, we can now put, I can do a T-pose of you over a cellular phone, retarget motion automatically into your avatar, including the rigging and skinning, purely automatic, and put you in Roblox. And not only that, if I did a sequence of these movements, then you can start playing yourself in the game. That we can do now. The problem with it now, with it is that it's too hyper-realistic. So what we're working on now is actually the generative AI that will deg not degrade, but will gamify the avatar. So make it more look and feel of Roblox or more look and feel of Fortnite or more look and feel of Overwatch or Destiny, because we expect ourselves in specific scenarios, we expect ourselves to be more gamified and fit the look and feel of the environment. Yeah. So if you'd wanted to put yourself in, let's say one of the games that I started playing now is Last of Us 2. Because I'm, honestly, I don't know why I haven't done it up till now, but I haven't. So I, I saw the show and decided to the play show in, in incentivized you to go and play. it happens often, by the way, I watch like The Witcher. I only played The Witcher once I watched The Witcher on Netflix, which is crazy because it's such a great game, but I didn't think about playing it. Exactly. So in this case, it was funny because my daughter came and said, we, we really need to look at the, to watch the episodes together because I don't want to give you any spoilers. And I was like, I played the game. You can't give me any spoilers. It's fine. <laughs> but then I said, wait a second, I didn't play the second game. Let's do that before they do the show, like the second season. But if you'd want to go into a game like that, you'd want to be hyper real. And that we can do again today. It's interesting. Why did you start from the hyper realistic first and then adjusting? I'm curious, what was the approach? Was it easier, simpler actually, or was there more of a business rationale? It's, it was actually way more difficult, but it had to one technical rationale and, and one business rationale. The business rationale was that when we started, it was with volumetric video, not the conversion to just industry standards that we have today. 
and volumetric video because there's a cost to using it. You need to use the plugins and you need to stream it because file sizes are big. Our estimate that was either right or wrong, but proved itself, you know, for us was that it would be more worthwhile for talent. So when we did with an experience with Paul Oakenfeld, Paul Oakenfeld wants to look Paul, it looks awesome. And it's worthwhile. He's you know, one of the biggest DJs in the world. So for working with talent and working with well-known art, artists, they want to be high fidelity and the look and, look and feel is very important. Uh, the second rationale is, is more technical. It's way easier for us to start at something that's hyper-real and then augment it to look more gamified. It's very difficult to see, to do the other way around. So think about the generative AI today when you use table diffusion, you put different pictures of yourself and then it generates an avatar that looks awesome, but doesn't look exactly like you. If you try to do the reverse, put cartoon versions of you and then have the system try to guess what you really look like. Interesting. It would have probably guessed wrong. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Uh, definitely. It makes sense. Both on the technical and the business rationale. Let's switch gears. I want to talk about a bit about the, whatever, however you want to refer to this question. How are you thinking about, because at the moment you've mentioned you work with the game engine owners, you, you work with the game developers, you want to make this available to long tail creators and users and so on and so forth. How do you think about the wider the wider opportunity for Yume in the long term, you know, over the next five, seven, ten years? And let me give maybe extra context of why I'm asking it. There's just so much excitement around the metaverse, but you know, it's funny. We started the year and all the big media publication, oh, the metaverse is dead, the metaverse is dead. I'm like, well, that's interesting. The metaverse never even arrived yet. So how could it be dead? And exactly. so it's clearly we are at the very early stage of a human behavior shift that is powered by these new advanced technologies like game engines. And I mean, saying new technologies, game engine is a joke because it's been around for 20, 30 years, but now it arrived to a place where the Mandalorian is created on a game engine. Cars are being designed in game engines, right? And so we're obviously at the very early stage. How do you think about where you wants to be as a business, as a company and the impact you want to make? in the slightly longer term where things are really starting to get real? So I think the size of the opportunity is also a potential problem. Because if you think about, we referred you know, to Instagram and to YouTube and TikTok. I don't know what the percentages are exactly, but I'm willing to bet that more than 95% of the content that's put on TikTok and Snap and YouTube is human-centric. Because we're humans and we're very human centric. So you'll have something, some videos of the environment and flowers and rain and whatever, but the vast majority is people dancing, doing stunts, parkour. That's my favorite on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. We're very human centric. And if you look at the kind of the role that the digital humans will have in metaverse environments, if things evolve as we think that they are going to evolve, they're going to be virtual shop, um, virtual shop owners or clerks that will be linked to advanced chatbots like ChatGPT. You will have virtual doctors. You will have virtual mechanics. Entire interaction will be with these online avatars. If, um, think about it, it's very funny. I just read 
re-read, talking about playing games because of series, I, I re-read the entire Foundation series because of the show that they did on Apple. And for them, everything is around robots and nuclear energy. That's the future that they're looking at. They don't have these like immersive worlds at all in the books. If you look at the trajectory that that technology is moving, a lot of these interactions, you won't interact with robots in a shopping mall. You'll just interact with, with their virtual representation online. Same where you, you want to you speak with government, speak with a doctor, speak with anything. Same thing when you think about the way that the metaverse will fill our lives. When I refer to the metaverse, please me, and it's not something I invented, but it's a range. It's a range between augmented reality superimposed on the real world through mixed reality and flat screen, uh, flat screen immersive environments, gaming environments on the flat screen, and then all the way to virtual reality. And all of these, the human beings and human interactions will play a very big role, but it's only attainable if you can create these at scale. And creating, it, creating them at scale means that they need to be compatible with all of these engines that can puppeteer them automatically. So artificial intelligence of text to motion and uh, conversational AI, etc. Their motion looks good and you can create them relatively easy. That's where we want to be. We want to be an enabler to create these digital humans for you to use however you want, whether it's leaving messages or virtual helpers in the street or virtual tourism or in game or in training for enterprise. First of all, I agree with you that I think the metaverse will be device agnostic. We're going to access this content, these digital avatars or humans from multiple form factors, quite simply, just mainly because, I mean, if you watch Blade Runner too many times, uh, you're going to realize that it's just going to be all around us, right? I'm not talking about the dystopian. It's funny. Some of the best films are in the future are always dystopian, right? It's interesting. If it's Ready Player yeah. One or Blade Runner, which is my favorite. But if you think about that, it's just the technology is going to be around us and we're going to access it because the cost of computationally making every surface accessible through touch or through our face expression, et cetera, we're going to be able to access. I like to say, what do you think you're going to do when you're, you have an autonomous vehicle? I mean, you're going to access some form of experience, right? Like you're not going to, you're mm -hmm. not going to sit down with a physical book. I mean, that's going to go away, not even with a Kindle. Like you're going to have, you're going to have surfaces that are computational and connected to the internet everywhere. And you're going to want to access all of those different things. And so I can see a world for sure, where you're not only going to access a, a myriad of virtual spaces, but you're going to do that. And you'll interact 24 seven with some digital avatar. Some, sometimes they will be human enabled because it's a friend of yours, but with AI, you will likely interact with a lot of synthetic humans, a lot of them. Now, I'm not even going to the place of safety and all of that, right? But yeah. and companies like yours will enable, will power some of that. Hopefully, we'll create the, the underlying technology that powers a lot of them and then let everybody use it. We want to be an enabler. We don't want to create these avatars. We want to keep on driving the tech forward and forward so the creation is easy and then we provide the tools to the Roblox of the world, to the Epic of the world, to the whomever will be the next big name in these 
engine or metaverse world creations to, to create into them. Because in, in the end, again, I agree with you, it's not just character agnostic. It's funny that you mentioned the autonomous car example. We actually had a conversation with a company that, that is looking, one of the big car manufacturers. You're still going to be stuck in traffic. You're just not going to be driving. You need to do something. And so they're trying to figure out what and how to facilitate it within the car. But again, for us, we want to be an enabler. We are not the creators. We're the software layer that drives the innovation of character creation. And we want to remain in that space because I think in the end, again, we're a deep tech company. We're a company of engineers. And that's what makes us excited when we come, we wake up in the morning. The fact that um, we can enable better games, that we can enable better experiences, that we can enable better entertainment. It has so many, even today, real world applications into the enterprise world that, that wants to come and engage with the younger audience where the younger audiences are. And we're an enabler for that. And uh, I think that's the most exciting thing. Sometimes it's also the most dangerous things because you, you have a lot of these opportunities and you really need to stay focused. And what we define to ourselves as focus is remain an enabler and target the gaming engines because, and here I agree with what you said before, the game engines are driving this, this evolution. It's not even a revolution. This, ev this evolution of gaming into broader media and entertainment and from there to broader enterprise, from car manufacturing to who knows what next. Yeah, no, I, and this is a great note to wrap up the conversation. I just want to add that for me, I think we're going to look back 30, 40, 50 years from now and realize that game engine is potentially one of the most definitive technologies of the 21st century, almost as maybe even more than technologies that enable broadcast TV cable in the 20th century, because it's really just going to be across the board and why companies like Epic, like Unity, like Roblox and others are really going to be some of the most important tech companies in this era. Uh, and so I think it's a wise and savvy business decision to focus on that. Gilad, thank you so much for being with me today. I know this is going to be such a phenomenal conversation for folks to listen to. Thank you very much. And I look forward to meeting you in person. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Into the Metaverse. We hope you learned a lot and explored new aspects of the metaverse. 